Well, it's time to pulverise some history with our good friend Roger Pulvers. And, of course, that means it's Japanese history. The program has been uh, returned to Fukushima of late as we uh, discussed the ongoing crisis caused by the quake and tsunami of, of 2011. And that event serves to remind us that the islands of Japan are amongst the most uh, earthquake-prone lands on Earth. This month marks the 100th year since a huge earthquake, the biggest of all time, the Great Kanto Earthquake. It struck on September the 1st, 1923, and it devastated Tokyo and surrounds. Over 105,000 people died, many in a firestorm that spread through the city. But what happened in the days after the quake is less well known and to this day hardly contested. Amidst the chaos, a conspiracy theory saying that Koreans were looting buildings, lighting fires and of all things poisoning wells. Now what followed was an incredible wave of violence with thousands of innocent Koreans murdered by vigilante mobs. A century on, Japan continues to grapple with the uh, commemoration of this atrocity. Now, Roger, our old friend Roger Pulvers, is a widely published author and playwright and he divides his time between Sydney and Japan and it's wonderful that he joins me physically in the studio. It's been a while, Roger. Take us back to September 1923. When did it strike? Well, it struck... Uh, on the 1st of September, 1923, at 11.58 a.m., just two minutes before noon. And that's important because most people were making at home, who were at home, were making their their lunch meal on little braziers, which are called hibachi, which have charcoal in it. And these fell over and caused the firestorm. And as you said... Uh, out of the 105,000 uh, people, actually it was 38,000, about a third, who died by fire. Now, the, the earthquake itself was a 7.9 magnitude one just off uh, Izu, the Izu Peninsula. And there was a 10-meter tsunami there, but it was rather insignificant by the time it reached Yokohama and Tokyo. So most people were killed by fire or falling buildings. But as you said, in the four days that uh, followed... The rumors went around that primarily Korean people, were Koreans living in Japan, were attacking people, actually murdering people, poisoning wells and so on. And the water in the wells was all shook up, so when people looked in the wells, they saw muddy waters and so on, so they thought this was proof of poisoning. And thousands of vigilantes and policemen, both in uniform and out of uniform, surrounded uh, people who, not only Koreans, primarily Koreans, but also Chinese people, uh, the so-called Burak, uh, untouchable class people. And were, some leftists. Oh, yes. I'll get to that. That's right. And some leftists. And also disabled people, primarily deaf people. Because what they did was they, they made them pronounce difficult uh, Japanese words to see if they were, they were accented. And so, for instance... Um, Jugo and Goju saying is a shibboleth, a Japanese shibboleth. It just means 
15 yen and 50 sen. Sen is a smaller unit of monetary unit. It's a little bit difficult to pronounce. I hope I pronounce it well enough not to get attacked. But the, uh, and if they couldn't pronounce this, they were either stuck by bamboo spears or machetes or some shot with guns. And up the, the, while, the, the, while the police averted their gaze and even, in a sense, incited Oh, yes. Well, there's a story to that because, as you know, Korea was annexed uh, as, into the Japanese Empire in 1910 and Koreans were given Japanese citizenship. So they were, Jap- they were officially, as far as the law went, Japanese people, uh, but not ethnically. And, but from the time of probably around the time of the Russian Revolution when the imperial family got very jittery about that the same thing or something similar might happen in Japan, uh, the police started profiling Koreans, leftists, just bunching them all together. The press published sensational articles about Korean crimes and so on. So what happened in the four days after the great Kanto earthquake on September 1st, 1923, was really just part of the process of uh, a kind of ethnic cleansing, not quite that far, but that was at least socially that w- that was going on. And uh, Philip, what's an interesting thing is the Japanese n- then and now are not aware of the great contribution that Korean culture made to to, we'll, we'll to circle, Japanese culture. We'll circle back to that a little later, but let's raise the the vulgar issue of money. I learned from you that the damage bill exceeded, uh, well, it nudged 7 billion yen, and that's four times the 1922 Japanese budget. Yes, yes. You mean the actual earthquake? Yes. Massive destruction, largely by fire in the days afterwards. Not only in Tokyo, but you said in the surrounding areas, in Yokohama, which is now the second biggest city in in Japan, was then a a major uh, port and a very big city. So, yes, it was a great disaster, but big earthquakes were happening in Tokyo about every 50 or 60 years. In fact, we're about 40 years overdue for another big one. But the the fact remains that the police not only authorized this, but participated in it. Now, you mentioned leftists because there's a very interesting figure called Amakasu Masahiko. And Amakasu was an officer in the army who was responsible for the murdering of two leftists and the nephew of one of them, very, very prominent anarchists. And he has an interesting story after that. He was actually found guilty and put in jail for a couple of years, but then was released in an amnesty, went to France and studied. After that, he went to Manchuria and became the head of the Manchurian Film Institute. And in Bertolucci's movie, The Last Emperor, he was played by Sakamoto Ryuichi, the uh, famous composer and musician and actor, he played Amakasu. So he made, Amakasu made a full circle from being a murderer, an official murderer, to the head of this amazing film company that the in occupied uh, Manchuria. Well, while we're talking film, let's bring Kurosawa into this discussion. That's right. Well, if you read Kurosawa's... Um, autobiography, which ends when he is 21. He only wrote it up to age 21 and refused to write after that. Uh, one of the incidents he described is when... We should he, remind the listener who Kurosawa was. Oh, yes. The Kurosawa se- Akira. The Seven yes. Samurai and yes, Rashomon. Rashomon and uh, High and Low and, you know, 
Rang, many, many films, this famous, very famous uh, film director in Japan and outside. Uh, he later became, he was only 13 at the time of the earthquake, and he was out with his father and his um, brother. And they were surrounded because Kurosawa, in fact, it's been thought that Kurosawa had some Russian blood in him. He has his roots up in northern Japan in Akita, but he's very tall. That's because he's very tall and he liked to eat a lot of steak every day. So people said he was partly Russian. Whether that's true or not, I don't even think he knew. But they were surrounded and his father had a beard and looked sort of non-Japanese and they were almost... Uh, killed. His father was almost killed, but said we're Japanese. But there's one other person, the, the most famous theater director in the 20s and 30s, and even after the war, was a man named Senda Korea. And he was um, also almost killed near Sendagaya Station in Tokyo. So he took his name, his real name was Ito, but he took the name Senda from, Sen, from the station and Korea from Korea. He adopted the name in order to uh, show sympathy for the Korean victims. So this whole incident, uh, Philip, was largely forgotten and repressed. There were, some of the murderers were given light sentences and it didn't make uh, much of a, an impact in the press and it was forgotten. And it really has never become part of the uh, Japanese historical narrative. As we will deal with shortly. So let's go back to the history of Japan and yes. Korea. Korea, as you say, was uh, occupied by the Japanese Empire. Yes. In 1910, yes, yeah, so, I mean, uh, uh, one of the reasons why they fought the Russians at, in the um, Russo-Japanese War in 1905 was to gain uh, influence and control over the Korean peninsula. And until 1945, August 15th, which is the day that the war ended, and it's considered Independence Day in Korea. And uh, it's very similar. You know, I was brought up in Los Angeles in the 1950s, and we were taught that Mexicans were lazy and, you know, not as intelligent and, and had no culture, and which is certainly not the case. We weren't told about the amazing architecture, art, and culture of Mexico. And the Japanese were very similar with the Koreans. They're never taught that Japanese culture, they, they know that traditional Japanese culture many hundreds of years ago originated largely in China, but they weren't told, and they still aren't told, that it's processed, it was proce processed in Korea. So philosophy, ceramics, uh, calligraphy, all came to Japan through Korea. In fact, the, even the kimono, which is the quintessential Japanese uh, garment, is a modification of the Korean traditional garment. So, but this I'm is sitting, something that's not very with, popular. <laughs> I'm sitting here with Roger Pulvers. Well, their attitude to the Koreans could be seen in the fact that uh, about three quarters of a million Korean workers were made to work in Japan and its other colonies. And, of that's course, right. down the track, Korean women were enslaved as comfort women. Yeah, Many of them were uh, not only Korean women, also women in other parts of Asia and China and Southeast Asia, and Japanese women. Well, that's another 
L&L story in itself. But uh, certainly they weren't treated well. And after the war, uh, Japan just cut off. And Japan didn't have relations, diplomatic relations with Korea until the mid-60s. So there's this killing frenzy, but it ends pretty much as quickly as it took about four days. However, there is an incident that happened on the 6th of September, which became the the theme of a movie which was released on the 1st of September, just a few days ago, in Japan, and is causing quite a stir. It's The movie in English is called September 1923, but the the title in Japanese is the Fukuda Village uh, Mass Incident. And... uh, 15 peddlers of uh, or itinerant merchants who were selling medicines and cures and that sort of thing. They were from Kagawa Prefecture, which is in the north of Shikoku, one of the, uh, the, one of the main islands in the south. They were in Chiba Prefecture, which is just north of Tokyo, continuous to Tokyo, and they were selling their wares and they were surrounded by upwards of 250 vigilantes who murdered nine of them and one of them was a pregnant woman, so you could say they murdered 10, three children aged two, four, and six, because they thought they were Korean. Uh, and they made them say, they said, oh, they're, they're Japanese is funny. They don't speak proper Japanese. And they, they murdered them. And this incident um, was completely forgotten. I confess that I didn't hear about it until a few years ago. It's like the um, 1921 Tulsa race massacre. Yeah, You know, I wasn't taught about that in schools in the United States. Who knew about that except for the black... <laughs> and who knew history. about all the massacres in Australia? In Australia everybody. as well. So it's not okay. only the Japanese that suppresses these, these narratives. There's a memorial park in Tokyo that commemorates the quake. Does it commemorate the Koreans? Yes, no, well... Uh, it certainly should. I should bring in a group, a group of Japanese women. There are only about 500 women in it. It's called Soyokaze, which means breeze. Uh, in America, they have the Proud Boys. I guess you'd call them the Proud Girls. They're alt-right racist group, uh, deniers of uh, the comfort women issue that you mentioned. And also, they deny that there were uh, that there was any killing of Koreans, and they demonstrate every year. Now, that's all right. It's a small group, and I should point out that the kind of confrontational polarization that exists in the United States and in Germany and and in Italy, for instance, and to a, a certain extent here as well, doesn't really make much of an impact in Japan. It's not that bad. The, the right wing doesn't have the kind of uh, uh, clout in Japan, in that sense, that it has in the other countries that I mentioned. However, the government turns a blind eye to this. And so, for instance, in December last year, governor of um, Tokyo Prefecture, Koike Yuriko, who's a very sophisticated, suave governor. She speaks fluent English, fluent Arabic. She paid tribute when she was asked to, about those the Korean massacre. She, she said, we, we mourn all of the victims of the earthquake in a similar kind of statement that Trump made when he said there were good people on both sides. And, but I, have, I, I translated something this, mo- this morning, which is very interesting, uh, which she said just a few days ago, uh, why she wasn't sending a memorial message to the 
on the day of the earthquake concerning the Korean massacre. And she said this, listen to this. The fact that we are not sending a memorial message does not mean that we are not adopting a stance that doesn't recognize the massacre. Now, that's typical mealy-mouthed Japanese. I mean, you've heard of the double negative. This is the quadruple negative. Who can understand that sort of thing? That's the sort of thing that is more of a problem than the actual demonstrations and the polarization is that the, the, gover the authorities do not recognize that this happened. And so it goes on and on and on. So no sorry day for her. No, no, how how is the event, the massacre, being remembered in Korea, North or South? I yes, wonder. it is. There there have been Korean films about it, and they know about it. But I'm not an expert on Korea. I don't speak Korean, and so I really can't give you a, an expert answer on that. But I do know that it is recognised, and that is and that it is commemorated. But I don't know to what what's, what extent it is. Roger, thanks for coming in. Thank Great you. to see you again on, on the even on this sad occasion. My guest, of course, Roger Pulvers, author and playwright, on the commemoration of Japan's Great Kanto Earthquake and Massacre, a hundred years on. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.